Let's start with Proverbs 14 and 34 and simply remind you the basic truth that righteousness exalts a nation but sends a reproach to any people. I think of any nation on earth currently is proving that as a fact. America's doing a pretty good job of it as we take some moral roads that uh, were kind of unimaginable just oh, 15, 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. We definitely never imagined the depths of immorality that America could wallow in and actually defend. We have, as the heading says, a deficit of decency that is just unimagined in previous decades. Now, I'm not saying America's the worst place that ever hit planet Earth. I think Sodom and Gomorrah probably could still teach us a thing or two. But I'd rather not go the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you know what I mean. Now, we have a lot of folks that are uh, believing in this rather absurd idea that we call the separation of church and state. And I'm going to have to clarify that because I, th I think it's a good idea and I think it's a stupid idea at the same time. I think it's a good idea in that the state has no business in regulating what religious teachings we practice. They don't need to be setting up standards for doctrine. They don't need to be saying how baptism should be regulated. Should it be immersion? Should it be sprinkling? Should you take the Lord's Supper every Sunday once a quarter, so on and so forth? Government's got no business with that. And in that sense, separation of church and state is an absolutely marvelous thing because government's got no business regulating what is alone God's area to prescribe what we need. Now, on the other hand, though, the idea of separation Separation Church and State is a stupid idea because government needs religion. What we miss is we start with people. What we have is we have a populace. That populace needs two things. It needs government. It needs religion. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells me that God put eternity in the heart of man. So he's got to have something that deals with his religious aspect. Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 1, read on through verse 7, tells me that man needs some governmental structure too. If you take government out, well, that'd be kind of chaos. Well, that's kind of what we got now anyway. You take religion out, we got a lot of problem too. But when we start with the populace, we need both. We need government to regulate some things that the government needs to regulate, such as setting some speed limits and so on and so forth, and some national defense, and you know, things like that. That's not the business of the church. I don't want the church getting into setting speed limits. That'd be rather ridiculous, wouldn't it? And so what we need is both of them. So to say that they can exist entirely, completely separate from one another is an absurd notion. They've got to have their proper place, each one. And you would think government would want basic religion. Fundamental religion. I, again, I don't want government saying, well, you all got to be Catholic or you all got to be Protestant or you all got to be whatever. You know, I don't want to go in there. But you'd think as a politician, you'd want a populace that believed, okay, I'm not supposed to lie. I'm not supposed to steal. I'm not supposed to kill people. I'm not, you know, you would think that'd be a good thing for government. Wouldn't you rather govern a group of people that held to basic decency, basic morality, basic righteousness? than a people who said, I can get drunk and kill whoever I want to anytime I want. And if you got it and I want it, I'll take it. Whoa, that's an ugly place to be. That's kind of where we are, isn't it, in a, in a lot of ways. And so what we need is the proper balance between the two. Both have a role. God created government. That's point blank. Romans 13. God also specified religious practices that ought to be had. So now what we're looking for is a, a kind of an answer somewhere between the two. A secular answer isn't going to work. Absolutely not. I think if a secular answer could work, a totally government separated from all religion, if that could be done, okay, there are 198 countries upon the planet right now. You didn't know that, didn't you? 198 countries, according to my Google search, Saturday or Friday, different countries on the face of the planet right now. Now, if one of them can do it purely from a secular point of view, don't you think one in 200 would pretty much get it right by now? And then when you look back in history and you think of all the countries that have come and gone, 
Don't you figure one of them would have pretty much figured out how to do it from a secular basis? But you see, when you take God entirely out of the picture, then might becomes right. And if I'm bigger than you or shrewder than you, then I get it. And what's to keep me from lying to you if there is no right or wrong on that higher godly level? Why not lie to you? Why not cheat? Why not take your stuff if I can get by with it? If there's nothing but some civic laws that I'm worried about, and if I play that game right, then I'll become one of the guys who write those civic laws so that I can make it where I can take your stuff and you can't do anything about it. And there have been cultures who have done just exactly that. You see, so you've got to have God in there. You can't separate the two entirely. They need their proper place, amen. But you can't just have a civilization that's totally atheistic and expect that civilization to survive and to thrive. Just as our verse says, righteousness exalts a nation, sends a reproach to any people. Now, another thing is not going to get it. Shallow religion is not going to get it. We've got a just a plague of shallow religion in America today. People teaching nothing but fluff and stuff. I mean, come on. Some of you are going out to eat when you get done here, and it will be done at about 11.35 if you want to set your watch to that. Now, when you go out and you sit down, whether it's Kentucky Fried or El Sol or the pizza place where I'm going, look at some of the other churches as they come in from their worship service and tell me whether they just came from a bar or church. How is that so? I have a friend, he's about 75 years old, he's Southern Baptist, and you can get him riled up. They call him the Taliban in his group because he says short skirts got no place in the house of God. Amen. But their preacher won't preach it anymore because it offends the people sitting in the pews, and you don't want to offend the people sitting in the pews because if they leave, then what do you got? And so people have watered down and watered down until religion has become so shallow and weak and meaningless that, that it's not working either. We, we need backbone back in religion is what we need. We need some good Bible-based, Bible-thumping, this is what the Bible says kind of teaching. And incidentally, those of you who grew up denominational like I did, you'll remember a day when that used to be the case. It didn't matter if you were Southern Baptist or what or what. I grew up Southern Baptist. You didn't go to the theater. A Christian didn't have any business in the theater. End of story. We snuck there anyway. We just hope we didn't get caught. You didn't watch Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. A Christian had no business watching that kind of garbage and filth on TV. We probably got folks sitting in our pews right now that watch filth way beyond Rowan and Martin right now in this building. Scary thought, isn't it? You didn't have a deck of playing cards in my grandpa's house. Grandma was Assembly of God. Grandpa, I don't know what he was. I think he went to church one time the whole time I knew him. But you didn't part your hair down the middle because to him that said outlaw. I don't know why, but that's what it said. And you didn't have a deck of playing cards in the house. No, no way. It wasn't coming in his house. No, it did, end of story. It used to be that religion in general held to some basic, fairly common values that made a difference in America that really made us a more righteous, a more decent, focused people. And unfortunately, religion has lost so much of that now, too, that very few people... Now, there are still a few out there who will open up that book and say drinking is wrong and cussing is wrong and, and all this other stuff is wrong, and, and they'll, they'll read you some stuff out of the Bible. There's still some of them out there. But unfortunately, there's not as many as there used to be, and so we have lost so, so, so much. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go back to Amos. I'm going to skip Proverbs 11 11 here where I was going to talk about by the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, which is what we want. And this line, we'll get into all that in a moment. I want to go to Amos 7 14. One of the challenges we face in trying to bring morality back to the center of our communities is that we have accepted what I'm going to call a, a false divide between the educated 
and the so-called uneducated, the, those of the ivory tires of academia, the intelligentsia, those with their diplomas. Now, I've got to be really careful here. There's nothing wrong if you have a college diploma. I'm not saying that's wrong, especially if you're in the medical field and I'm going to you for medical advice. I want you to have all kinds of training and diplomas, and I personally would kind of like to see them on your wall when I walk in the office to kind of know you're up to date. But when it comes to morality, decency, righteousness, those diplomas mean nothing. In theology, you've heard me say it before, all a diploma in theology and divinity means is we like him and we think you should too. If you got your diploma in theology and divinity from the Baptist University, that just means the Baptists like you. If you got your degree from the Methodist University, that just means the Methodists like you. And just run around the circle of every religious group you can name. All that degree in divinity and theology or whatever they call it means in religion is that that school likes you. That don't mean you're right. That doesn't mean you're right at all. The only thing that means you're right in religion is when you can open up that Bible and say, Thus saith the Lord. And the Lord says. Now, the reason I have Amos 7.14 up here is he says right here at the end of the verse, I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. To put that in a little more modern language, he was a hick. He was just a backwood guy. He was not college educated. He wasn't from New York City or St. Louis or Chicago. He didn't have credentials that would make people sit up and listen. He raised sheep. But what he said was important. Now, what happens to you and I? I don't have any credentials. I've got a high school diploma. Boy, isn't that impressive nowadays. Let me show you my high school diploma. I bet you'll just want to flock around and really look at that. Of course, some of you want to see it to be sure I really got one. <laughs> but anyway, so what you have is you have this whole idea out there that, oh, y'all are just a bunch of dumb hicks. Y'all don't get it. Y'all don't understand it. Y'all don't have a right to say anything. That's wrong. And don't you buy that lie. You have as much right to say anything about righteousness, morality, and decency as the highest educated politician that is in Washington. You've got as much right to say anything about righteousness as the highest education medical personnel that's at Hopkins University or wherever they happen to be. You just name the elite of the elite. And you've got as much right to say things about decency and morality as they do. There's a guy on the talk show circuits right now that's real popular. He's a brain surgeon or something or other. And I don't know about his politics. He's pretty conservative, I think. But everybody's all excited about him because he's a brain surgeon. Well, nonsense and hogwash. I don't care if he's a brain surgeon or not. I want to know, does it get down to the basic elements of decency, righteousness, and morality, that God-based foundation that we all need to share in order to live right? You can be a brain surgeon and be stupid. And those of you in the medical field probably thinking some doctors right now saying, yeah, he's a good surgeon, but he's dumb as a box of rocks when it comes to basic decency, righteousness, and morality. And so don't let, don't let anybody say because you talk funny, you have a southern accent, you don't have that high $100 vocabulary, you don't always get your sentences structured right. That's, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you understand the basics of decency. And when you understand the basics of decency, you become the salt of the earth that makes a difference wherever you happen to be. So we got Amos here. He's just a country hick, but he starts talking about some of the basics. He says, for three transgressions of Judah, because in four, I will not turn away punishment, because they've despised the law of the Lord. America? Now, I know Amos isn't talking about America, but what have we despised? We'll, we'll elaborate on that some more. They have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray. Lies which their fathers followed. Look at the lies we have swallowed in America. Well, three top lies, maybe. You can pick which are the top three. We, we said back in the 70s, divorce doesn't hurt children. Kids are resilient. Kids will bounce back from it. Lie? We know it's a lie now. We've got a lot of studies now. But we still believe the lie. Why? Because it serves the flesh and the indulgence of the flesh. What do we say? We say, well, that's, that's the homosexual. That's nothing wrong with that. That's not, don't call it perverted. Don't call it demented. That's just an alternate lifestyle, preacher. 
That's a lie, but we're believing it, aren't we? It's not a child, it's a fetus. And we believe that lie to the tune of what, one point something million abortions a year? And we wipe out human life. The lies, they're all out there, but people want them and they want to believe them, they want to hang on to them because it indulges their flesh in the way they want to go. And because we believe these lies, not you and I personally, but as an America, we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. Amos talked about how they would sell the righteous for the silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. We've got to go on to verse 7 here for part of this. They pant after the dust of the earth which is on the head of the poor and pervert the way of the humble. Now pause right there for a moment. Look at how people use other people. There, there's no more Acts 20.35. Acts 20.35 says it's more blessed to give than receive. Uh, Dave, Vicky, and I are, are members of the Lions Club. When we all joined the Lions Club some 15 years ago, we had 30-plus members. As the older generation has passed on, we're down to 13 members. And you talk to young people and say, man, we got this club and we do this and this and this. It's like, I ain't got time for that. Everybody's too busy for stuff nowadays. They're too busy to get involved in community, whether organized like what Dave and Vicki and I are involved in, or whether it's just individual. People don't have time for other people. It's all about me, me, me. What's in it for me? What am I going to get? And if I ain't getting something, I ain't going. We pan after the dust on the head of the poor. We want what everybody else has got. Isn't that America? Doesn't that pretty much sound like America? And you start making some money, don't let the politicians get wind of it. That's a whole other category. I'll leave that alone for right now. And then the bottom part, actually, I think this verse should have been divided different, but that's not my business. It says, a man and his father go to the same girl to defile my holy name. Sexual immorality. Now, I don't know if he said it in an elegant way. I can't read Hebrew to know if it's eloquent. I don't think it was eloquent, given what he said about just being a sheep herder. But he just puts it out there. There is sexual immorality that ought not to be there, and it is that sexual immorality that is killing America, and it is killing America. Literally, in some cases, can we say AIDS? You know, there are places where it's literally killing hearts and relationships. It's no good for us. But we believe the lies, and we follow in any way as a nation, because we don't want somebody encroaching upon our so-called freedom. And so we just need to get out there and we need to say it. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of, condemn, of the condemned in the house of their God. The picture I'm getting here is they like to turn religion into a party. They, they don't want to hear anything too serious. They don't want to hear any of that Bible thumping. They, they want to feel good, make me feel happy, preacher. Tell me all this good stuff. Tell me I'm going to heaven in glory when I die. And I'll deal with heaven when I get there because I just want to have a good time this side of the tombstone. And that, that's a lot of America. That's not everybody, but that sure is a lot of America. And verse 12, he said, You gave the Nazarite wine to drink and commanded the prophet, saying, Do not prophesy. Does that kind of remind you of 2 Timothy chapter, was that chapter 4, where he said they had itching ears and they'd heap up teachers? That's what they wanted. And it's this kind of stuff, this kind of immorality and decency, unrighteousness, that just keeps adding up generation after generation. And a lot of us here, I'm not the youngest, oldest one here, I know. I can remember the 60s, and I can just start following on down. Some of you folks, I'll be polite, but you can remember the 50s and the 40s. And you can remember how, you can see how it's all changed. Tell me it's changed for the better. Oh, I like my iPhone, don't get me wrong. But society's not changed for the better. I like the way they can do bypass surgery and go in and clean out your arteries and give you a new heart on some occasions. I think that's kind of cool. But society's not changed for the better. I like technology. But society, you go back to World War II and you start tracing it forward and we started believing the lies and we started just accepting stuff and we started this whole thing and not, not really wanting to hear it. 
and America's just trailed down further and further and further. And all they're doing is feeding the flesh. It's all about the flesh. That's it. What, what, what can I get? How can I get it? How's it going to make me happier? And the idea of selflessness and, and volunteering and sacrificing and giving yourself up for another, probably outside of the sacrifices that a mother makes for her children, you probably see very, very little of that in the world in general nowadays. I don't think it's completely gone, but it sure isn't there like it, like it used to be. Things have, things have really changed. Now he goes on to say that there's going to be a famine. And he says it's not a famine of water, but it's going to be a famine of hearing the words. They'll wander from sea to sea and north to east. They'll run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they'll not find it. Not exactly what Agnes has in mind, but we are somewhat in that time of famine. You can still find the word of the Lord if you look for it. All you got to do is open your Bible. It makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? But if you go to a lot of religious services, all it is is fluffing stuff. It's just, you know... Tingly, exciting, entertaining. Uh, some of them have dancers that have been trained to dance in the spirit, which always kind of puzzles me. They have all kinds of programs and quartets and solos and choirs and on and on it goes. And, and they call it worship. They got worship service coordinators now. It's, it's all something. And, and what they're missing is the real truth of the word. And there's, there's some meaning here. There's some depth here that this, this isn't just preaching rhetoric. This isn't just something that you go, well, you know, Preacher's got to preach about something. There's history here. There's a guy by the name of Arnold, I guess you say Toynbee. He wrote a 12-volume study of history. Now, this was, you can still get this. This is still published, uh, available on Amazon.com and other places. You can get a little cheaper on eBay if you get a good bid there. And what he did was he studied 22 civilizations. And he, he looked at their, their coming together, their rise, and their fall. And of those 22 civilizations that he studied, 19 of those civilizations collapsed when they reach the level of immorality that's in America today. Well, actually, my statement's just a little bit off because Arnold Toynbee, he died in 1975, and he wrote the statement that 19 of those civilizations collapsed when they reached the level of immorality that existed in 1975. Fortunately, he was lucky enough to die before he saw the immorality we'd reached in 2013. As a nation. Now, you say, well, that's about 30-something years, 35 years or so. So, so maybe he was wrong. Don't, don't fall for that long. Because in the life of a nation, 30 years isn't that long of a time. 35 years isn't that long of a time. And so in the life of a nation, I have no question in my mind personally that America began her collapse some time ago. And we are witnessing that collapse. And as you listen to Washington and you hear Washington talk about the various things they talk about, listen between the lines. You're watching the collapse. You might not live to see the finality of that collapse, but I have no question in my mind personally that there will be some day when Mickey and Allie will be old and gray and on their walkers and their grandchildren will be around their laps and they'll say, let me tell you about a time when there was this wonderful country we called America. And they'll tell them stories about what America used to be. And if I get my vengeance, I'll still be alive pestering them. And I'll say, let me tell you how it really used to be. And I'll take them all the way back to the 1960s. I don't have any doubt in my mind. How can America continue to survive? We might keep the name. I mean, what's in a name? But look at the America that you see in Washington today. Look at the America you see out of Hollywood, the entertainment industry. Make that country and western. Go to Nashville. Make it that one. I don't care where you go. Go to Chicago in the publishing industry. Go to Hollywood. Look at the America you see there today. And tell me that's the America of your grandparents. We're witnessing it. We're seeing it. Uh, and it's because, in part, it's just a bunch of dumb hicks like you and me 
who are the ones that have enough sense to see it and say something about it, but the intelligent, the so-called elite, just brush us aside because we don't have the right documentation, we don't have the right vocabulary, we don't come from the right schools, the right families, the right whatever. And it's those elitists that are destroying us, defending things that ought not to be defended. I have a theory. I won't ramble long on this one, but my theory is we ought to get rid of everybody in Washington. And, and once a quarter, we're going we're to start up here at Hardy's first, and we're going to take all the retired men that sit up there, and we're going to give them a quarter. And say, so you run the country for three months. Now, the next group, we're going to go to another restaurant and pick up all the retired men there and let them run the country for the next three months. But the next three months, we're not going to have to worry too much about it. Because the first three months, we're going to get it all fixed. Well, we fix it every morning at Hardy's, so why not in three months? And we'll get it all fixed, and then the other guys can just maintain it. And every three months, we'll switch them out. And they'll all just volunteer and donate their time. They're retired anyway, right? So they'll still get their check. And uh, nobody will be making money off politics. And uh, they'll just say, well, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. You know, one of the simple farmers said it the best about Washington. He said, you don't make the hog thinner by feeding him more corn. Now, his point was, you don't make Washington smaller by giving him more taxes. But I want that kind of wisdom. Not just in Washington, but I want that kind of wisdom all around me. I don't care what words you put it in. I don't care if you sound like a backstreet hick or not. That's not the point. I want to know, is there value? Is there true decency and morality in the words you put together, in the message you're relaying? And if there's decency in it, I don't care if your vocabulary is kindergarten vocabulary. As long as it's right and honest, it's right and honest. That's what we need. And that's one of the things they were missing, and that's what we're missing. And we have a big problem. You're wondering, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, where's he going with this one? <laughs> one of our problems is we have become so offended with God in America that we don't even want the Ten Commandments posted in public anywhere. And you and I, as members of the Church of Christ in the New Testament church, we'll fall into that sometimes. And this is going to be, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but might as well jump in there anyway. The things that were written before were written for our admonition. I would much rather enter a public building that had the Ten Commandments posted than a place where they didn't believe in anything like that. Did you see what I'm saying? I like going someplace and it says, Thou shalt not kill. I think that's kind of a cool rule. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. I think those are good rules. I don't have a problem with them being posted all around. Yes, I know the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament covenant. Yes, I would rather quote New Testament verses to, to establish those nine primary points, the Sabbath being the one exception. But I even like the fact that people have a mentality that they want to set a whole day aside for God. Now, I'd set Sunday aside myself. But I still think it's a wonderful idea. And I think when a nation as a whole is so offended that somebody had the Ten Commandments posted on a bulletin board in the lunchroom, that's got to come down, we're in trouble. Now, again, my theology would rather substantiate those things from a New Testament basis, but I like seeing those kind of rules out there. And if the simplest simplicity of the Decalogue helps, then, then, then let them post it. Well, don't people post the 23rd Psalms? Isn't it funny? We'll walk into somebody's house. I've actually heard this. I can't believe they had the Ten Commandments posted on the wall. Don't they know we're not under the Old Testament anymore? I've never been in anybody's house and had this conversation later on. I can't believe they had the 23rd Psalm posted on the wall. Don't they know we're not under the Old Testament anymore? Look, that Old Testament has value. And the succinctness of the Ten Commandments, even though Moses' law is expired, and we are under the law of Christ, those nine principles still stand solid under the law of Christ. And if this, the simplicity of those helps America get their focus back on the Bible, let's get it there first. And then we can teach them some other things that I think they need to know. But America as a whole, the number one, they don't have a clue of anything I've just said about the distinction of the old law and the new law. They just see Decalogue, Ten Commandments, get rid of it. 
and they're upset and they're angry. We're so upset, we, we get upset when our kids pray in school. Now, I don't want the school teaching my kids how to pray. I don't want the school teaching my grandkids how to pray. But I don't want the school sending my kids a message either saying it's bad to pray. Well, that's one thing I like about rising too, incidentally. Last ball game I attended before the ball game started, somebody said a prayer. And it wasn't a local high school cheerleading girl either. It was a local minister. I kind of think that's neat. Do I agree with everything that minister taught? No, don't misunderstand me. But I like that community that still says we're going to start this way. And we're going to take a moment to acknowledge God before we begin. And those football prayers haven't been too indoctrinating for the most part, you know, that I've ever heard. But anyway, when we put that message out, we're in trouble. And then we did this one. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. One nation, what, under who? How, how does that go? Oh, wait a minute. We can't say under God anymore, can we? Or can we? You see, we've got so hypersensitive as a nation that even the phrase under God, and that's a pretty generic phrase actually, but even that phrase is just driving people nuts. And they want to get God out of the picture entirely. Yeah, we're in, we're in trouble when all that kind of stuff happens. And now I've got to throw my Psalms 101.3 in here. Had that been written in our day, David would have said something like, um, I, will, I will download nothing wicked from the internet. I, I don't know exactly how that would do, but I, I will post nothing wicked on Facebook. Maybe that would have been the way he would have done it. But it wouldn't have just been, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. But it was, a, you know, no wicked MP3s, you know, none of that nasty music, you know, no rap. It would have been a whole longer list there had he wrote it in our modern times. But what we are, we're in a time where people revel in that stuff. And if you have a politician, and you, let me make a distinction here. If you have a politician that wants to make a difference on a moral level, they're, they're facing an uphill battle. I really don't think you got much of that in Washington from what I can observe, but be careful to make a distinction between your local politicians. Now, I'm not saying you're going to agree with all your local politicians, but it seems like our local politicians do try a little harder sometimes to actually do some things right than the national level guys. So don't always lump them into one big barrel too quickly. Uh, some of our local politicians, I think, are, really have the good of the city in mind and really want to make a difference. And those, if you identify one as such, those are the ones that need your support and you need to get behind and, and really try to help out. Otherwise, so many folks are just like this, man who's filthy, drinks iniquity like water. And, okay, you get a politician that says, I want to make a difference. Whether it's either their ward or their city, their county, their state, or their nation, it's an uphill battle, number one. Because most people, especially when you get on national level, don't want government. They don't want morality. They don't want decency. Um, all they want to do is they want to work the system to pad their own pockets, make themselves in the retirement cushy, and everybody else can fend for themselves. That's just their problem. And so they enter a very challenging situation that's, that's tough. Now, politicians aside, think of the general populace. You see, it's one thing to sit around the table and talk about what's good to, for righteousness and decency and morality and, and those things. It's another thing to let's say, okay, let's enact it. Because we start talking about taking away abortion, which has been in the news quite a bit lately. All of a sudden, yeah, but, but what, what, what? And, 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 and don't, don't encroach on my, my, my privileges, politician. I might want to kill my baby. Now, I don't think other people ought to kill theirs, but my situation is going to be the exception. And the last track I had, they were getting it down to, what, 20 weeks or maybe a little lower than that. One, one of them wanted to stop abortion at the heartbeat. And people throwing a fit, encroaching upon my freedom, my rights, blah, blah, yada, yada, yada. And so when you start talking about the difficult things that have to be done, everybody starts backpedaling. Well, you know, everybody, generally speaking. And few people really want to stand up there. And so you've got a politician, a few good folks like us. We're, what, 100 people? 300 million people in America? 
We don't have a whole lot of chance, just to be honest about it. It's pretty tough. And yet the intelligentsia, the academic people, tell us that we're crazy, that we're the ones all messed up. Let, let me get this straight. Divorce rates hovering around 50% pretty consistently lately. But me and my conservative message don't get it. Uh, prisons are bulging at the seams. Just the unit I volunteer at has 1,600 men. One unit. But me and my conservative Bible-based message, I just don't understand what's going on. We've got children literally raising themselves on the street, probably a whole lot more than we know about. We used to call them latchkey kids. They go to school, the school raises them, they come home and tend to themselves till mom or daddy get home, and no telling what goes on in the meantime. And, and yet, I'm the one who's all messed up. Excuse me, I don't think I'm messed up. I understand I don't talk like Dr. Phil. I understand I don't sound like the newscasters on the 5 o'clock evening news who get paid a million dollars a year or whatever they make. I understand I am just an old hick from Arkansas, and I'm kind of proud of it because I got the truth. I understand what decency is, and you understand what decency is. And it's when folks like us stand up and really start trying to make some noise that maybe, maybe a little something can happen. Somebody said silence is golden. Yeah, and sometimes it's just downright yellow, too. And you got to make the choice, don't you? I'm going to start winding up. I told you. Oop, I'm after overtime. Jeremiah 10, 23. It's not a man who walks direct his own steps. Man, are we proving that. Not just America. Every nation that has forced God out has proven this point. In Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Once you force God out, minimize God, then that desperate, wicked heart takes over, and you get all the immorality just flooding through like what we have today. There's no way around it. So what can you and I do? Matthew 5, 16. We can do a little. I can't change, and you individually can't change America. None of us individually can change Arkansas. None of us individually can change Jefferson County or Pine Bluff. But I'll tell you what I can change. I have a powerful, strong influence at 2823 Kimberly Drive. I've got, I'm going to be generous here, I've got half the power there. <laughs> yeah, some of you got that one, didn't you? When it comes to this place right here, we all have a lot of power, a lot of influence. Which direction is this congregation going to be going the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? We are the ones that make that choice. In your workplace, I know your power is a little diminished. Depends on where you're at and how, how many people you associate with. But if you're on a line and you're working with three or four people, you've got a lot of power. You've got a lot of say and a lot of influence. Now, you can't run their life, but you can influence their life. If you're in management, you've got some influence. Now, you can't preach religion at work, but you can still influence some things. There's no question about that. You see, your social groups, your circle of friends, you got influence. Now, pie in the sky, but let's do it anyway. And let me put my next verse up here. Amos talking about seeking good. If I will live the best life I can live, and Martin Dell will live the best life he can live, and Ruby Nell, the best life she can live. And Emma Jean, I'm going to stop there, but you just take it all the way around the auditorium. That's a hundred of us living the best life we can live. And then we get other people outside the congregation living the best life they can live. I'm talking about decency, morality, righteousness here. And, and, and that idea catches on in Pine Bluff, which wouldn't that be great? You've seen the signs around lately, 365 days of peace. Isn't that a neat idea? And it starts catching on. And all of a sudden, we've got 100 of us, and then 1,000 of us, then 10,000 of us, and then 48,000 of us all determined to live the best life we can live. What is Pine Bluff? Pine Bluff is no longer number two on the top 10 worst cities in America to live in, which was our last ranking. Pine Bluff all of a sudden becomes the number one best paradise place on earth to be with your family and your children, all because one heart at a time understood what Ecclesiastes 12, 13 said a long time ago. Our whole duty is to fear God and keep His commandments. It's one heart at a time. You're, you're valuable. You're, 
you're marvelously valuable, indescribably valuable. The problem is we get to looking at the intelligentsia, we get to looking at the national scene, and we compare me with Washington and I got nothing. But I need to look where I got something. I may only be one, but I am one. I can't do everything, but I can do something. I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. And when enough of us have that attitude, we make a difference. And the main place I want to make a difference is that little circle I call my life. That's where I want you to make your primary difference too. One heart at a time. How's your heart in relationship with God? Do you realize how valuable you really are, even though your sphere of influence is just a little bitty? But when all of us start to shine together, it starts to make a difference. I want you to look at that. I want you to give yourself a pat on the back because you are the good people. You are the decent people. And I want you to be determined that wherever your sphere of influence happens to be, you're going to keep being that positive influence that lifts people on, encourages them to higher ground, no matter who or where it may be, so that when you leave, you can leave the world a little better place than which you found it. Now, that's really not a come-to-Jesus kind of close, but if you're not in Christ and you realize that you need to be baptized to have your sins washed away by His blood, we're here to help you any way we can. All together, we stand and sing.